Hey everyone, my name is Eddie, producer, legend, and host of my Crunchy Podcast over on the Podmoth Media Network. If you're looking for something chaotic, somewhat messy, and very incomprehensible, then go stream my Crunchy Podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. So stop searching and start listening to all your new faves from the Podmoth Media Network team now. Do you love having long, luscious eyelashes but hate the time it takes to put falsies on every morning? What about the cost of eyelash extensions and the long appointments to get them refilled? If you get just as frustrated as I do, Flutter Habit is the perfect solution for you. Flutter Habit offers DIY eyelash extensions at home that are a fraction of the price of regular extensions. Not to mention, they last for five days, which is far longer than regular glue-on eyelashes. If you're ready to up your eyelash game from the comfort of your own home, use the link in my show notes to get 10% off your first order. Thank you so much to Flutter Habit for working with me on this podcast episode. This podcast does not include graphic or explicit content. However, this podcast is based on the stories of people that are deceased and oftentimes murdered. So if the topic of death is bothersome to you or anyone around you, please use your best judgment when listening and also listen to the appropriate trigger warnings that I may give in any particular episode. Hi everyone, welcome back to the Doe Identify podcast. If you are new here, my name is Haley. Welcome. In this podcast, we talk about unidentified people who don't have their names and we try to advocate for them and try to hopefully get them identified. This week, I'm covering two Jane Doe's that were likely murdered by the same person and this person is who we all call the Shaw Creek Killer. Investigators believe these two women are connected to each other as well as to Jackie Council and Ristine Durden and possibly several other women because there are so many similarities in which they were found. For example, all of them were African-American women in their 20s and 30s as well as they were found nude half a mile away from each other. And I do want to say before starting this podcast episode, a lot of my information came from the Unresolved Podcast article and their episode. I gave them a heads up and I actually chatted with them about this case. So I'm definitely not trying to steal their content or anything. Please go ahead and check out their article or their episode and give them a lot of support because there's just really not a lot of information on these cases from my usual sources such as NamUs or the Doe Network. They got quite a lot of information from the police department themselves. So please go ahead and support them and follow them on Instagram. They are amazing and they do fantastic research. I will go ahead and say whenever I got a specific piece of information from their article, just so that way, you know, everything's clear on where I got that information from. And it was from one of my fellow podcasters. So first, let's discuss the Aiken County Jane Doe of 1987. 
For this episode, I'm just going to call her the 1987 Jane Doe because the second Jane Doe is also called the Aiken County Jane Doe of 1993. So I really want to differentiate the two. So I'm going to call this one 1987 and the second Jane Doe 1993. The 1987 Jane Doe's skeletal remains were found in a wooded area in Eureka, South Carolina on November 16, 1987. This was about one and a half miles south of the intersection of the Johnston Highway and Mount Calvary Road near Shaw's Creek, close to the Edgeway County line. According to the Unresolved Podcast article, a police officer who reported to the scene said that her body, as well as the others mentioned in this episode, all looked like their remains were posed. For example, all of their arms were outstretched and their legs were crossed. Because the 1987 Jane Doe's remains were just skeletal, it's hard to know exactly when she died. But investigators believe it was between 1986 and 1982. At the time of her death, she could have been anywhere between the ages of 17 and 30. She was biracial. She was African-American and Asian, possibly East Indian or Caribbean or Caribbean, however you prefer to say it. They were not able to tell what color of eyes she had or the hair color that she had because she was just skeletal remains when they found her. Every article on her notes that she had a very lean build. Now for distinguishing marks and features, she had high cheekbones and she had a healed fracture on the left side of her nose, which she could have had some type of visible deformity from. She also could have had an older injury on her right knee. She had her first molar on her lower right side removed early on in life, as well as a pronounced overbite that resulted in the buck teeth look. Five of her teeth were missing from the skeleton, but we aren't sure if that's due to animal activity and environmental causes. A lot of the sources kind of just said that she was missing five teeth from her skeleton, but didn't give any details on if you could tell that they were removed prior to her death. I wasn't able to find that information, but just keep that in mind. She could have been missing five teeth in total. So something that is very confusing to me was that every single source I could find said that her hair color was unknown, but they also say that her hair tested positive for cocaine, so they do know that she was a cocaine user. So I'm not sure if her hair was at the scene, but it appeared dyed, or if they tested hair nearby that tested positive for cocaine, But every source, including government sources such as NamUs, say that her hair color was unknown, but she did test positive for cocaine. It could be one of those things where they're trying not to hinder their investigation and give away clues. I'm truthfully not very sure. The same article from the Unresolved Podcast website says that investigators used a metal detector around the crime scene and they found one brass shotgun shell casing underneath her body in the soil. 
Investigators believe that she could have been a worker at a nearby farm because of her lean build. The same unresolved podcast article says that investigators used a metal detector around the crime scene and they found one brass shotgun shell casing underneath the body in the soil. And I'm sure some of my listeners will be like, whoa, a shotgun shell? It's probably not super uncommon to hear shotguns being shot off in the woods due to hunting, especially in South Carolina. And so it actually makes a lot of sense that the killer would use a shotgun or would get away with using a shotgun in this instance. It's not like they're in the middle of a city. If someone heard it, it likely would have just been passed off as hunting. A lot of articles that I found on the 1987 Jane Doe said that she could have been a migrant worker because of her lean build, and there was a farm nearby that was well known for having migrant workers working for them, and they even got fined for employing these workers, but the farmer did not know of this particular woman. So they're not sure if it could have been one of those instances where he just doesn't remember her or if he possibly had something to do with it or whatever the situation is, but the police did speak to this farmer. Then a couple years later in 1991, another woman was found in the exact same area. Chewy is once again one of my partnerships for this podcast. Chewy is one of the longest partnerships I have on this podcast, and it's for a great reason. We started using Chewy when we got our first dog, Ranger, in college, which was like four years ago, because it helped us save so much money through their auto ship program. Now that we have two dogs, we go through way more food now, and the auto ship program takes remembering to buy them their food every month off my plate completely. All I did was set up the frequency I want their food to be delivered, and it comes every single month. If you would like to try out the AutoShip program, you can save 30% on your first order using my link in the show notes. If you have a fur baby, I know you will love Chewy as much as I do. Thank you so much to NYX for continuing to partner with me for my podcast. If you don't know what NYX is, it's a company that has absolutely everything you need so you can be comfortable on an everyday basis in your loungewear no matter what you're doing. Let's be honest, most bras are super uncomfortable and have sharp underwires that just do not allow you to relax at all whatsoever. What's so special about NYX is that they have no underwires in any of their bras, all of their straps are completely adjustable, and then they also have at least three to four rows of extender hooks in the back. They have completely changed the game for bras and loungewear, and I myself have five NYX bras, and I absolutely love every single one. Something else I love about NYX is their accurate representation of models on their website. You will have to see for yourself, but everyone is a real human on their website, and they're not perfect models that have been photoshopped for hours on end, and I just appreciate that so much. If you want $15 off your most comfortable bra ever, use the link in my show notes and go ahead and spoil yourself and get something that you will feel confident in. Thank you so much to NYX for always working with me. It is an absolute pleasure.
The woman who was found in 1991, just a few years after the 1987 Jane Doe, ended up being identified as Jackie Council. I wanted to include some information on Jackie Council in this episode, and just in case that gives some clues into who the Shaw Creek killer was or who the two Jane Does I cover in this episode are. Nearly all of the information from this portion is from some Augusta Chronicle articles as well as the same Unresolved podcast article. These will be linked in my show notes in case you wanted to go ahead and give these articles a read. Jackie Council was a mother to four children and was 30 years old when she went missing. On November 10th, 1986, Jackie dropped off her youngest child at school. She was unfortunately last seen saying goodbye to her son. When she didn't come home that evening, her loved ones found this very suspicious and reported her missing. Then on March 22nd, 1991, an African-American woman was found by loggers cutting down pine trees in the same area where the 1987 Jane Doe was found. The skeletal remains would later be identified eight years later in 1999, and her family would get answers 13 years later after they last saw their loved one. Then, in March of 1992, another body of an African-American woman was found in the same area again. Investigators put together a reconstruction which someone ended up recognizing. The family member of Ristine Durden, who disappeared on March 13, 1989 from her home, thought the reconstruction looked like their missing loved one. That is when they compared the dental records between the skeletal remains and Ristine's, and they ended up making a positive identification. So thankfully, we do have two names of these four African-American women who were murdered in likely the forest or elsewhere, and that is really great news. But unfortunately, just one year later, yet another body of an African-American woman was found, and she still has not been identified to this day. On this episode, I'm going to be calling her the 1993 Jane Doe, as I mentioned earlier. The nearly complete skeleton of an unidentified African-American female was discovered near Shaw Creek off of Highway 191 in Aiken County, South Carolina on January 25th, 1993. The victim likely died one year to three years before her body was found. The very odd thing about this particular case is that the body appeared to have been moved after the victim was killed. Her body appeared as though it was decomposing for a while in one location and then it was burned in a controlled ground fire. She was still found in the same area near a body of water and was African American, making people believe the cases were related. She was probably 25 to 32 years old, so the same age group as the other three women, and also had a slim to medium build. They know that she was right-handed. She was between 5'4 and 5'7, and she was between 125 and 140 pounds. Like the 1987 Jane Doe, she also had an overbite. 
According to the Augusta Chronicles, there have been a few suspects, including Joseph Patrick Washington, who was arrested for the sexual assaults and kidnappings of five women. And he also shot three women, all of which ended up surviving. So he clearly was a horrible shot, thankfully, because I'm very happy that these women ended up surviving. And he is also suspected of two murders. Another suspect was a serial killer named John Wayne Boyer. He had committed murders in different states, but to investigators, he ended up admitting that he had dumped bodies in South Carolina when he was arrested and interrogated. And other than that, there are some other serial killers that have been brought up, but what is clear is that investigators and most of the public believe that all of these women were murdered by a serial killer. Most of my sources were not very clear on how these women were murdered, but some kind of allude that it, they were all shot. So it's very clear that one serial killer had the same MO. He wanted to kill African-American women in their 20s and 30s who were pretty slender and he left them all in the exact same area. I wish that after the second case, they went ahead and put up cameras in the forest to try to track this down. I do know that the cases were in the early 90s, so security cameras weren't the big commodity that they are now, but I wish that there was some type of surveillance going on in the forest, but I'm sure investigators really regret that at this point. If you listen to a lot of my episodes, you will know that I give contact information for each individual case. Typically, after each case that I read, I'll kind of take a break in between and I will give that information. But since all of these women are being handled by the same investigators, I'm just going to give the contact information here and then I will put each different case number in my show notes. So if you have information on who the 1987 or the 1993 Aiken County Jane Doe's are, please contact the Aiken County Coroner at 803-642-1740. I'm hoping that the other two women can be identified by their family members, just like Jackie Council and Ristine Durden. I think that is really all that it takes. And Jackie Council and Ristine Durden were fairly local to the area, as in they were in driving distance within an hour or two before they were found. I'm willing to bet that these other two women were as well. It seemed like the killer knew that he was going to drop off the bodies in this particular area, which also makes me believe that he was local as well. You don't often find, you know, for example, truck drivers. There's been some truck driver serial killers brought into this mix, and I don't really know why a truck driver would find someone, kill them, bring their body with them on their truck route, and then take them back to this one particular location that they've dumped other bodies. Unless it becomes like a ritualistic type of thing, I don't want to get in the head of a serial killer, but I just don't see why that is kind of 
an idea that some people have. I really am kind of betting that he was somewhat local, hence how he knew where to put these bodies. It's a very, very remote location. I will post a picture on my Instagram in case you were curious like I was. But I'm willing to bet that he was local and I'm also willing to bet that the 1987 Jane Doe and the 1993 Jane Doe's were very local to the area. I'm willing to bet that someone knew them, whether it was an employer or a family member, but perhaps they were never reported missing because we've all heard of a case where a victim's family is told that they can't report an adult missing, especially under 24 hours. And so a lot of people just are not reported missing, unfortunately, and then they end up getting found as victims. So I'm hoping that me sharing this episode will get a little bit of talk going. I think that there is a distinct lack of information on these women in comparison to other women. And I don't want to assume why these women have a lot less coverage and information on them. But I'm wondering if it is because they're African-American. We've all seen, especially in recent years, the lack of coverage that African-American women in particular get versus other people such as white women. The Gabby Petito case pops up and I'm really glad that her case got a lot of attention, but people were like, oh, well, what about all of these people of color who are also missing? Why can't they get this much attention? I feel like these four women were victims to that lack of attention that people of color sometimes get whenever they are victims of homicide. I, again, hope that's not the case, but I feel like that might have been what happened here. As soon as I found these cases and I saw the lack of information, I knew I had to cover it. And again, thank you so much to the Unresolved podcast for letting me use their information as my source material. I will link their podcast in their show notes, but you can find them on Spotify and all of the other podcast listening platforms. All right, everyone, thank you so much for listening to this podcast episode. Don't forget to go ahead and listen to the Crunchy Podcast, who I give a promo to in the beginning of this episode. Thank you so much for listening.